Our first reading this morning is from Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, 5 and 6, and 9 and 12. Please listen now to what God is saying to the church this morning. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. The word of the Lord. you all remind me to remind you at the end of the sermon that we're going to sing verses 1, 3, and 4 of the hymn that will come right after I stop talking this time. So if you remind me, I'll remind you. Oh, the final hymn you're talking about. Oh, never mind. Okay. Thank you for reminding me not to remind them at the wrong time. Okay. Never mind. Don't get old. This is my first exhortation to you this morning. Our second reading also is from the Old Testament, Hebrew biblical tradition this morning, um, this time from the 26th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess... And you possess it and settle in it. You shall take some of the first fruit of the ground and you shall put it in a basket. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. And when the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. That's Jacob. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number. And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. Remember, Jacob's other name is Israel. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us, By imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And the Lord brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, you shall celebrate with all 
the bounty that the Lord your God has given you and to your house. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Oh God, may the meditations of our hearts together upon your word to us this morning be acceptable in your sight and then life-giving to us as your people. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love the story that Will Willimon, the bishop in the Methodist Church, the former uh, chaplain of the chapel at Duke University, and by the way, I think they need a chaplain today, having lost yesterday to North Carolina in Coach Krzyzewski's final game, big thing if you're a sports fan. Will Williman, who was the chaplain at Duke, now a bishop in the Methodist Church, tells the story that when he was in high school, every time on a weekend night or Friday or Saturday evening, as he was getting ready to leave the house and go out on a date or to hang out with his friends, his mother would say goodbye to him at the front door with what he calls these weighty words. As he was getting ready to leave, she'd say to him, don't forget who you are. And Willem goes on to say, you know what she meant. She did not mean that I was in danger of forgetting my name or my street address. My mom meant that alone on a date or at some party in the presence of strangers, I might forget who I was. I might lose sight of the values with which I had been raised, answer to some alien name, engage in some unaccustomed behavior that may or may not have been right or wrong, but simply wasn't me. Don't forget who you are, was her maternal benediction as I left home every Friday or Saturday night. And then Bishop Willimon goes on to reflect, it is sometimes difficult in modern life amidst the conflicting claims and confusion of names to remember who we are. We are forever answering to some false name forever misunderstanding who we are and by whom we are named. It is so easy to forget. This morning's text from the 26th chapter of Deuteronomy is a transition text. It is the end of one road for the people of Israel and the beginning of another as they come into the land which had been promised them the, at the end of the 40-year journey in the wilderness, the wandering, the backbiting, the complaining, the surviving, the death, the life, the birth. 40 years is a formulaic term in biblical literature. It means a really, really long time. It could have been more than 40 years. Who knows how long the people of Israel, coming up out of Egypt, out of slavery, wandered. They're at a crossroads. They're in a new place like we all can be. We come out of some difficult phase or enjoyable phase into another phase of our lives, and we aren't exactly sure what's coming next. A lot can be at stake. If what is ahead of us has, uh, is exciting and offers us bright prospects, we ourselves can be excited and look forward to what's coming next, even if we're not sure what's going to happen. And at times, if you're anything like me, we can overestimate our own capacities. We can assume 
that what has been easy and joyful up until this point is going to just continue that way for the rest of time. And I'm here to tell you it almost never does. Of course, I don't need to tell anybody who's lived through the past two years that things never really go as we predict or hope. They go a different way, and God is in the midst of that, not of our predictions or our plans. Of course, when we come to a crossroads, as the people of Israel did, as they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, finally, we could be worried, anxious, afraid. Who knows what is waiting for us in this new place, in this new day? We can even be paralyzed with uncertainty or anxiety. So, this really important text in the 26th chapter of Deuteronomy this morning gives us kind of a, a secret code to use as we come to that moment in our lives. We're just coming out of a pandemic together as a church, as individuals, as families. Each of us has a different, we hope we're coming out of it. We're certainly moving into a better phase and we don't know what's coming next. We have our hopes and we have our dreams. We also have the trauma of what we've been carrying. And the text this morning from Deuteronomy gives us help, gives us this secret code, even kind of a superpower, so we can figure out how to go forward, no matter what circumstances are like, no matter what the future holds. But along with that superpower, this text from Deuteronomy today, this exhortation of what a pilgrim in Jerusalem an Israelite who may have come from close by or far away to the Jerusalem temple uh, is supposed to do and make an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. What happens when we, like that person of faith, offer ourselves to God in worship? Two results always happen. We find out a little bit more about who we are, and we find out a lot more about who God is. This part of Deuteronomy is set in what was known in ancient Israel as the Festival of Weeks. It's still part of the Jewish annual ritual and worship calendar. At the Festival of Weeks, every Israelite, no matter where they lived, was expected to make a pilgrimage to the Jerusalem temple and to the sanctuary and bring the first fruit of their harvests as a way of saying thank you to God for all the blessings and care and steadfast love that had been accorded to that Israelite and his or her family in the year just past. That's what offerings are, as I mentioned earlier here, for us as well. Offerings are simply a way of saying thank you. So if you lived in Jerusalem, you didn't have to go far. You may not have been a regular temple worshiper, but at least once a year you were expected to go into the temple with the first fruits of your harvest or the best of whatever you earned and had. And if you lived far away in Galilee or Syria or across the river in Transjordan, you were expected to start walking. Or get on your app and get a donkey to come pick you up and start getting over to Jerusalem and into the sanctuary with the best of what you had as a way of saying thank you to God. To go into the sanctuary and worship with your gratitude. That's what we do. That's what worship is. And when you present the best of who you are, Deuteronomy 26 today says, not only do you hand the priest what you have to offer, so the priest will set it on the altar... Before even being asked, did you notice in this, this reading this morning that the priest never speaks? As soon as you hand what is the best of your harvest, your family's uh, possessions, your bounty to God through the priest, 
Deuteronomy says, then tell your story. Tell your story. Tell the priest and tell yourself your story. And this is my story. This is our story. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. Arami Obed in Hebrew. A wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt. We looked at that just the other day here in worship. When Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob, had already gone down to Egypt after the other brothers had sold him into slavery, Joseph became a prominent leader in the Egyptian pharaoh's hierarchy, even though he was a Hebrew. And eventually he reconciles with his brothers, which we looked at last Sunday, and they bring their now very elderly father, Jacob, down into Egypt. And Jacob stays there, and his sons go with them, and they thrive. They, Israel, and the Israelite people, the sons of Jacob, lived as aliens in Egypt, and they prospered. And then, as the pharaohs changed administrations, they eventually found themselves, the Hebrew people did, the Israelites, as slaves. And yet they still grew in numbers as they built the pyramids and lived under this oppression. And when, in your story, you recall that the Egyptians began to treat you harshly or whatever hardship you faced in your story, we cried out to the Lord, our God, and our God heard our cry and saw our suffering. And the Israelite story is, our God brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm brought us with signs and wonders through more trials and tribulations, more uncertainties, to this place, to this moment in time, to this decision. And when you tell your story, you remember who you are. That's what we do when we tell our stories. It's a big part of our new member class experience, probably the most moving part. We get to listen to other people's stories and get to know who they really are a little bit better. Part of who we are, part of who you are, and who I am, thankfully, we are people that someone, some power, some entity, some being whom we call God, we are people that someone cared enough about personally to get us this far on our life's journey. And recalling and affirming those moments and those people and those actions and those decisions, those hard times and those good times, through which God has become known to us and through which we have become known to God, that is how we know who God is. God is a God who cares for us, who reaches out to us, who loves us through the cheeseburgers, through the chicken nuggets, through the chocolate milkshakes and the cookies and the pie, through the memories and the love, even when we were facing tough times. When we questioned ourselves, God always reminds us who we are. We are precious and we are loved. And we are the people of a God who cares about us enough to always move us from oppression and suffering, solitude and anxiety, into freedom and to abundant living. Telling and retelling our stories is what Deuteronomy wants the people of God to do over and over again. And that's all we do in worship. We just tell the story, remind ourselves who we are and who God is again and again and again. That's what people of faith do, as imperfect and as broken as we are sometimes. 
no matter if we're at a happy intersection with bright prospects ahead or at a scary crossroads, we worship, we give thanks, we tell and retell our stories. And in doing that, as Deuteronomy tells us, we remember what it is to be a, an Israelite, a Christian. We're part of a long history of God's grace at work in your life, in mine, moving you and me from oppression and slavery to our own worst instincts to freedom and joy because we're living our best life, the abundant life that Christ promises. That's your birthright. That's my birthright. To be in Christ is to be one of Christ's family, to be part of a long history, that long trajectory of grace at work, even when we couldn't see it. And to start learning slowly and tentatively and taking back, backstepping a few times, backsliding, and then going forward again, trusting that grace by telling the story and reminding ourselves. In his book, Telling Secrets, Frederick Buechner says, my story is important and not because it is mine, God knows, but because if I tell my story anything like right, the chances are that you will recognize that in many ways it is also yours. It is precisely through these stories and all their particularity as I have long believed and often said, that God makes God's self known to each of us through our stories. We're children of God. God is a God who cares enough about us to call us children of God, to claim us and name us. We are people that God has cared enough about personally in the midst of our circumstances to get us this far and promise to take us forward as well. That's who God is and who God's still going to be. And that's worth celebrating. That's what worship is too. Thanksgiving and celebrating. We celebrate in meals, both sacramental and for our daily bread. We celebrate by sharing our stories. We celebrate at the Lord's table together. We just give thanks for this amazing gift of grace, which changes everything. And did you note at the end of this little passage today in Deuteronomy, take a look. With whom do we celebrate? Each other? It's really poignant in this time and in Europe where so many people are on the move, refugees pouring out of Ukraine, so many other ways across our southern borders, so many places where people are in transition, moving from one life to another, uncertain of how it's going to go. And we are called as people of God to celebrate with the alien and the Levite, People we don't know, who are not like us, who may not agree with us, but who are children of God nonetheless, just like we. These days, for all of us in this pandemic, for all of us on this planet, as war has broken out in Eastern Europe, and we don't know where that's going, and we don't see an end right now, these days, no matter what you're facing or what I'm facing, we're moving into a time of wilderness, of wilderness wandering, of not being certain what tomorrow will bring, where worries and cares and anxieties about what might happen can overwhelm us and paralyze us, where guilt and shame or remorse about what has happened can paralyze us and overwhelm us. But we can't let that anxiety and that worry be our guide or the inspiration for our actions these days. We just have to simply remember who we are and tell our stories again and again so we can remember both who we are and who God is. 
children, precious children of a God who loves us enough to liberate us and to set us free again and again and again. In Alex Haley's wonderful book, which was made when I was a kid or teenager into a, an incredible television series, Roots, there's that memorable scene, uh, the night that the sort of the star of the novel and the story, Kunta Kinte, drove, who's become a slave in the United States after being taken from his freedom and from his life in West Africa, when Kuta Kinte drove his master to a big ball, a dance, a celebration at the plantation house. And as he waited outside, Kunta Kinte heard the music from inside the house, music from the white folks dance. He parked the buggy and settled down to wait out that long night of his master's revelry. And while he sat in the buggy, Kunta Kinte heard other music coming from the nearby slaves' quarters, the little cabins around the big house. It was different music than the big house's music, music with a distinctly different rhythm. Kunta Kinte felt his legs carrying him down the path toward those cabins. And there he found a man playing African music, his music, which he suddenly remembered hearing in Africa as a child, the music he'd almost forgotten. Kunta Kinte found that the man was from his section of Africa. They talked excitedly in their native language of home and of things of home. And that night, after returning from the dance, Kunta Kinte went home changed. He lay upon the dirt floor of his little cabin and wept, weeping in sadness that he had almost forgotten, weeping in joy that he had last remembered. Our worries, our anxieties, our remorse and our guilt, they can almost distort who we are to ourselves, and we forget that no matter what has happened or what might happen, we remain precious children of God, loved by the steadfast love that liberated the people of Israel and that saved the whole world in Christ Jesus. That's who you are, that's who we are, because that's who God is. Let's keep telling our stories again and again as we move into this new day together. Amen.